It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Well, I talk a lot about common sense, but I didn't invent it, obviously. However, there are a few people and organizations that I turn to when we need to look at issues from a common sense point of view. And in this case, when it comes to infrastructure and government, as we hear more from the Biden administration's infrastructure plan, I began looking into this, as I'm sure some of you have. And the questions are not just around the money, but an important question should be and is, where is this nation? Well, maybe the first question is, what is infrastructure? The second one. Within the various tentacles of, quote, infrastructure, true infrastructure is a discussion, not just roads and bridges, where is this nation? And relative to the world is not often a good point for me because other countries are in different stages of development, of redevelopment, uh, and it's not a one-to-one comparison. That's often used in politics. I think it's lazy. I think it does no good to the discussion. One of those people I turn to, Philip K. Howard, chair of the Bipartisan Campaign for Common Good. And, uh, of course, with a lot of good information at commongood.org. Philip, my friend, uh, great to have you back. Great to be with you, David. Happy Easter. Let's dive right in. I, you know, we, we, you and I have talked about this, about common sense, common good, look at policies, practice. But, you know, the definition eludes many people. And maybe even if it doesn't elude them, Philip, they don't look at the word infrastructure and see the same thing. And it's hard to see the complexity of it for many. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a big word, <laughs> you know, in different People mean different things by it. Um, there is this report every few years by the American Society of Civil Engineers that, you know, has uh, two dozen different categories, you know, roads and bridges and locks and rail lines and power grid and wastewater, you know, et cetera. And, um, and they give a report about how America is doing. And, of course, the reality is is that we are basically – living off the facilities built by our grandparents and great-grandparents. You know, we haven't been able to get our act together since, you know, for pick a number, 70 years maybe. So let's let's tackle that first and that point about living off, you know, the, the systems from our parents and grandparents. And I mentioned the comparison. I don't like the comparison the easy political language or pundit language. Well, let's compare the United States to an insert country here to support or defend an argument because we're in a different stage. Telecommunications, for example, we laid the lines, right? We dug, we put it in AT&T. If you think about a company like that, others that came along, some other countries developed on more of a microwave-based system because the technology was advanced. So when you look at that, I don't. that's why I don't like that discussion. But when you look at our infrastructure and you look at the Biden administration plan, uh, what do you see? Well, um I mean, the Biden administration plan includes 
things that people traditionally don't put in the infrastructure bucket. You know, it includes things like roads and bridges and airports and rail and and power grid, which people do consider infrastructure, but then they do have a lot of things like, I don't know, affordable housing and other things that people generally put in a, in a different bucket. But you know, I guess you could argue that it's, that it's infrastructure, broadly speaking. But the reality is that the Biden plan is kind of a Christmas tree. And it was put out as the opening gambit of, of, of the negotiation. Um, what's amazing to me, actually, is, is how much enthusiasm, at least, you know, by, not by everybody, obviously, but by many people. I mean, it's like the whole front page of the New York Times as if, you know, it's like, you know, like VE Day or something ending World War II. I mean, it was like, you know, and all it is is sort of a, I mean, it's, it's a big proposal, but it's just a proposal with no expectation that it or most of it can actually happen. Let me take something, and there's a full report available at commongood.org. Uh, on and it's titled, in this case, the article, the executive summary is titled Two Years, Not Ten Years, Redesigning Infrastructure Approvals. Uh, but I, I want to go to something in that caught my eye. Law is supposed to be the framework for a free society, not an impediment. You mentioned Christmas tree projects. Everybody's got a hand in this, or too many people have a hand in this. And then there's implementation and efficacy that's needed. Right. Uh, those are the things that concern me. If we're going to spend, is there a return on right. investment, uh, not just an imposition of another rule, for example? Yeah. So, um, um, so I did, I had a column yesterday in the Daily News about this. That, you know, it's sort of a two-page column, but you know, essay really. But about, but basically, the way infrastructure is done in this country now is, first of all, it often takes years, sometimes a decade or more, to get a permit. So that's why the 2009 stimulus, there's $800 billion available, very little of it got spent on infrastructure, something like 3%, because nobody could give a permit. And President Obama, instead of saying, this is outrageous, I'm going to change the law so that we can give permits in a year instead of six years or whatever, or in six months, uh, said, oh, well, too bad, you don't see any shovel-ready projects. So, so you can't build anything if – if you have to go to literally 50 different agencies and departments to get permits and, and, and do a multi-thousand page environmental impact statement, you could do an impact statement on any project in any amount of time. You could say, okay, these are the important environmental issues. That's a good idea. Get this done in three months. You know, it's not like it's, it's, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to overturn every pebble. But instead, we have this process where nobody takes responsibility. It's like, like hamsters on a wheel going round and round. <laughs> you know, that's how Washington works. We never get a permit. So one reason this won't happen, at least won't happen to you change, well, is you've got to be able to get permits. And the second thing is you've got to set priorities. You know, there's some infrastructure projects that are important. I would put the Gateway Tunnel under the Hudson River. It's a new rail tunnel because the other tunnels are about to collapse. 
uh, is right there. You know, the whole region could be in gridlock if we don't have those new tunnels. Um, but a project you don't want is like the bridge to nowhere in Alaska, where you put a big bridge, you know, to a tiny island that services, you know, almost no one. So who's going to decide who gets the money? And so you can always already hear the hoofs pounding, you know, in the feeding frenzy about to start with every politician from every state demanding God knows what. Well, who's going to make sure the the money spent on stuff we need. There's no mechanism for doing that. Yeah, and, you know, to that point, and by the way, this is an important point I forgot to mention. Two years, not 10 years, was something you did in 2015. We're talking about since from, from then to now, and you and I have known each other for a few years now, Philip. What's the real movement we've seen? The idea that, you know, when when you work in the private industry, if you need permit, if you need remediation, if you need things done, you don't have 10 years to wait for a project. Right. But yet government makes you wait back to that point of, you know, supposed to be a framework for free society, not an impediment. Uh, what are the things that you see that we need and we need a lot so let's be fair about that we do need well, infrastructure well, yeah, yeah. work but what do we need right now outside of the administration's proposals or including well, oh yeah for starters starters, we need clear lines of authority to, to to give permits in a reasonable time frame and and right now we don't have it the trump administration implemented some of the recommendations in two years not 10 years you know, while the Democrats out of office were resisting it, <laughs> but that's just because they were out of office. You know, once they're in office, they'll, they'll embrace it. So you need clear lines of authority to make decisions. And you need this idea, which we don't have in this country, that decisions actually require judgments where people take responsibility and go on the line. We have this idea in this country that government kind of works like an automatic software program. You show up at work in Washington, you push pay from one side of the desk to the other, and eventually the right answer comes out. Well, that's just not how the world works. It's not how your radio show works. It's not how anything works. People have to decide what's important and make a decision and take responsibility for making the decision. And we've kind of lost that idea um, in in government. You know, teachers don't have authority to maintain order in the classroom. It's just, it's now like a, this, in, like disease, this epidemic that's spread through government where you, everybody's trained to say no, but nobody is willing to take responsibility to say yes. <laughs> so you end up, you know, people are frustrated to death. There are some other areas, Philip, uh, in government, and and there's a tension. There should be a tension in our system, uh, especially for those of us that believe in federalism between the state and federal government. And do we need the states, or at least responsible states right now, to try and continue to move forward 
and still fight back where government uses a couple of weapons. One is the money. So states like the money coming back to the state bound to, let's say, transportation dollars or whatever. Then you have private interests. And this goes to some of the electric companies who, say, for instance, won't modernize, won't, uh, you know, protect their facilities better unless the state pays for it. That that seems to be dysfunctional right now for the most part. Yeah, you know, the I must say, I'm uh, well, first of all, on federalism. Um, if if we moved so. You know, in our campaign for common good, we're we're basically advocating a much simpler goals-oriented regulatory structure, where you take a thousand-page rule books and turn it into thirty or forty pages, and you have goals and principles and and hierarchies to make decisions. And one of the advantages of a principles-based system, to give an example, Australia had nursing homes where they went from a thousand-page rule book to thirty principles, like have a home-like setting respect the dignity of the residents, things like that, and they work much better. What The advantage of principles, it, it allows people in the states and in, in, and in local communities to do things in their own way. It allows people to wake up and have ownership for how they do things. That's incredibly important because, one, things work better, and two, people don't, you know, people hate Big Brother breathing down their neck. So we clearly need to go to a a structure where not that you're telling the state you can do whatever you want, but, but where you're given more authority to, to, to oversee things, you know, in their own way or get things done in their own way. And that's, um, you, you know, it's just, just, just incredibly important. You, you just can't make people go through the day with their noses and thousand page rule books. And it, it, and that's why people are so alienated in this country because they don't, you know, they, they, you know, they feel they're, they're shackled. Could we, and you and I have done this for an hour before we won't do it this time. We're just doing a segment. Maybe we need to get you in for an hour uh, soon enough, but you know, could we work enough at the state level? And I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a Pennsylvania state Senator Uh, Just this past weekend, state legislatures can do some of the lifting here to get us to that two year process, two year approval process, the two years, not 10 years, which, by the way, I'm going to tweet out for everyone and put it on all the various media platforms because, folks, you need to read this. Uh, it's it could the states play a role in this even more so if we could get enough state legislatures to push this to the governor's mansion, uh, is that a path, a possible path? Yes, definitely. I mean, that's a great idea. And so, 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 for example, for, so, for example, we have, um, um, we have, um, um, you, you know, often the states are are giving the permits, and they've been delegated by the federal EPA to be in charge of the permitting process. And it's uh, and they could create clear lines of authority to, for example, set the main goals of an environmental impact statement. There's no reason for an environmental impact statement to be a thousand pages. I mean, even on a complicated project, there are only some things that are going to be important. And um, and the states could pass laws to do that, 
and that would be, you know, and that would get projects off the ground right away. Well, let's see if I can push a couple of legislators to pay attention. I think I can do that, Philip. You know me by now. <laughs> I think we can, yeah, exactly. We can and, get... and, you know, we at Common Good would be glad to help. We've got We've got a really great group of former governors and senators from both sides and lots of people who could come and help kind of build public pressure and support for um, for for these kinds of changes. You know, it's just sort of common sense changes. Let's just make, make things work. Yeah, how about we just make common sense work again or work even more? It still exists in some <laughs> quarters, but work even more. Uh, the website, by the way, commongood.org. I'll make sure this uh, two years, not 10 years. Uh, again, years in the making, but we really need to pay attention right now. And, Philip, as you know, we, we do want to improve infrastructure. We do want things to work. It helps with the economy. It helps with society. There's so many benefits to a proper infrastructure, not not more laws that are impediments. I love that line. I really do. Law is supposed to be the framework for a free society, not an impediment. Right, exactly. It's so simple. So very simple, my friend. Thank you, as always. Yeah, nice to be with you, David. Philip K. Howard, chair of the Bipartisan Campaign for Common Good. The website, commongood.org. I'll make sure this goes out on all my social media platforms. because It's relevant to where we are right now. And, and that line that I, I've repeated a couple times about law and its role. 866-95-PATRIOT, 957-2874. I'll be right back. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.